We'll begin by looking at just one verse, a familiar verse in the book of Proverbs, chapter 29, verse 18. Where there is no vision, the people perish, but he that keepeth the law, happy is he. For anyone who's been blessed with physical vision, we would all agree that it truly is a blessing. It certainly is a gift. It's not something we want to take for granted. I realized even as I've gotten older, my vision has diminished somewhat. I probably have taken it for granted, but we certainly appreciate physical vision, those that have been blessed with that gift. But as precious as it is, we know that it is not vital or necessary for physical life. You do not need physical vision to sustain physical life. We know many who've lived very productive and active lives. They've been able to overcome challenges. They've been able to accomplish some amazing things all without the gift of physical sight. We certainly admire people who are able to do that, but we know you don't need physical vision to have physical life. However, Spiritual vision is absolutely critical to spiritual life. We cannot have spiritual life without first having a spiritual vision. You know, when the Lord speaks of spiritual vision or spiritual blindness, we know uh, He's not referring to a physical condition at all, but to a spiritual condition. He's referring to a condition of the heart, This text here refers to the importance of obeying God's Word. And if you look at the previous verses in that text, it refers to the importance of raising our children and teaching our children about the ways of God and training them up in the ways of the Lord. Someone once said, if a parent doesn't teach his children obedience and respect for authority while they're in the playpen, they're going to probably have to learn it in the state pen. So this is important. It's important to realize and know the really the vital necessity of knowing God's Word and following God's Word. It says, He that keepeth the law, happy is he. It lets us know that for those who would cast off the restraints of God's Word or those who would rebel and refuse to line their lives up to God's Word, they bring destruction on themselves. So it's, it's very important to have spiritual vision. These things cannot be realized without it. The only way we can realize it is when the Lord enlightens us, when God shines the gospel across our pathway, and it's so critical at that point that we respond. You know, with the Lord's help this morning, I'd like us to consider a few things that affect a person's vision. We know that exposure to light can greatly affect a person's vision. It can irritate people or it can help them to see. We've probably all had an experience of maybe being in a dimly lit room or working in a dark area and you step out into the sunlight and the first thing you want to do is squint or hide your eyes or even possibly go back into the shadows. But we know that light also helps us to see. Well, you know, the same thing can be said about spiritual light. Spiritual light can irritate people or it can help them to see. We read in John chapter 3, 
verse 19 through 21. And this is the condemnation that light is coming to the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. So you see how important it is that we respond to the light in the right way. Those that hate good, those that love their sin, they hate the light and they'll retreat back into the shadows. They don't want to be exposed. But for those that will uh, submit to that light and follow that light, uh, God will help them to walk in truth. You know, I was thinking about the testimony, Brother Walter Janeway. It was in our daily devotional just a few days ago told about how he left home at the age of 13 and he uh, became very involved in crime and he would commit crime after crime. He said he got so hardened, his heart was like an old stone. And he said he would think nothing of holding up a person and robbing him and taking all their money. In one of his testimonies, he shared about a time when he robbed five men at gunpoint. And then he followed one of them into a restaurant afterwards and sat down next to him. Bought the man's meal with the man's own money. But he said his heart was as hard as a stone. And one day he found himself awaiting trial in Spokane, Washington. And an older lady had come from the church and she was handing out apostolic faith church papers. And he requested one from her. And so he says as he crawled up on his bunk bed there, he began to read about testimonies of men just like he was, hardened criminals and drug addicts and God delivered them. He said he was shaking like a leaf. Light had begun to penetrate in that jail cell there, but he said he felt something else. He felt hope. And he turned to that uh, cellmate of his. He says, I don't know what you're going to do. You can stare at me, but I'm going to pray. And he got down on that steel floor and cried out to God. He said, Lord, don't let me get up till you do something for me. God did something for him. God saved him that day. He said that prayer changed his whole life. He said he'd gotten out of jail any way possible before. He'd sawed his way out, shot his way out, paroled his way out. He says, that day I prayed my way out and I stayed out. God gave him victory, helped him to go clean up that old light, but he responded to that light. We see both types of responses to the light in the book of John. Again, chapter 8, verses 1 through 11, we see both types of Responses represented here. This is the story or the account of the Pharisees as they brought that woman taken in adultery. They drug her before the Lord there, and you know, they weren't interested in justice. It says that they brought this woman before the Lord. Uh, they did this that they might tempt him and accuse him. How foolish to think you could entrap the Lord, but that's what they tried to do. And so they challenged him. They said, what should we do? You know, if a woman has committed adultery by the law of Moses, she should be stoned. Right there, they had overlooked part of the law because in Leviticus, it said that both parties were supposed to be brought before the judges, but we see them only dragging this woman before the Lord there. So they didn't really care about justice. They weren't interested in the law. They were trying to entrap the Lord. But I love Jesus' response. It says, as they began to challenge him, he said he stooped down and he spoke not a word. He just began to write in the ground there. And there was a lot of speculation about what Jesus wrote in the ground. The Bible doesn't tell us. 
Some have suggested maybe he began to write the names of each of those men, and as they began to push him, you know what? He did something very important here. Verse 7 of that chapter says, So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. You know, it was almost like Jesus just flipped the light switch on. Here are these men so full of their hypocrisy and their pride and their condemnation, drug this poor woman before the Lord, so full of themselves, and in a moment they were exposed. We read on. It says that, again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Some suggested maybe he began to write the sins next to these men's names. We don't know, but it had an effect on these men. It says, and when they heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, they went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. It says they were condemned. They were convicted. They had been exposed to the light of the world. But you know what? They were also presented with a wonderful opportunity. They found themselves in the very same place that every sinner must find themselves before they can ever be saved. We must first be convicted of our sins. We must realize that we've transgressed against the Lord. And hopefully that conviction will lead to repentance. So they had an opportunity. But sadly, they preferred the darkness rather than the light. And it says that they left one by one, beginning with the eldest to the very least. Oh, their eyes were open, but they refused to see. When they were exposed to the light, they ran for the shadows. But we see this woman's response. Again, in verse 9, it says, And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. You know, this woman could have retreated. She could have ran for cover of darkness. She knew she was guilty. She was condemned, just like these men. But you know, I'm convinced that once a person is exposed to the light of the gospel, once Christ shines his light on a person's heart, regardless of how they respond, they're never the same from that moment on. This woman, she realized she was guilty. You know, she could have uh, made a run for it, but she must have realized that it would only brought more condemnation, more guilt. So she remained right where she was, right in the presence of the light of the world. And Jesus did something wonderful for her. We know that the Lord, He delivered her. We know she recognized who Jesus was. As Jesus said, uh, aren't there anyone to accuse you? She said, no man accuses me, Lord. She addressed Him as Lord. She must have realized the Lord could do something for her. And the, and the Lord, in fact, uh, did something for her. And he tells her something very important in verse 11. He says, neither do I condemn thee. And here's what we want to get. He said, go and sin no more. You know, the Lord didn't accuse her, but he didn't excuse her. He forgave her, but he gave her a commandment. Go and sin no more. You know, when a person comes to the light of the gospel, when they're forgiven, the Lord expects us to continue in the light. He says, stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ made us free. Don't be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. So he gave her the commandment to go and sin no, and sin no more. It's so important that we continue in the light. 
It says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness or sin, we lie and do not the truth. That's why it's so important we continue to walk in the light of God's word and in obedience and holiness to the Lord. There are others who would like to filter out some light. You know, we sometimes will wear sunglasses or maybe a wide-brimmed hat or maybe uh, you're in your house and you close your blinds part way. You just you want a little bit of filtered light, but you don't want the whole exposure of the full light to come in. Well, that might be okay physically, but you don't. We can't do that spiritually. We can't filter out God's light. We can't take a little bit of truth or cherry pick the commandments or choose what we want to obey and disregard others. You can't filter out spiritual light and have good spiritual vision. I've seen a man, he's an evangelist, and he'll conduct interviews with people on the street, and he's very effective, and he'll usually stop a person, he'll begin by asking them a question. He'll ask them, do you think you're a good person? Most of the time people respond, well, yeah, I think I'm a pretty good person. So then I'll ask them, why do you think you're a good person? And usually they'll say something like, well, I try to treat my neighbors kindly, or I try to be respectful of others. Maybe they'll cite one or two of the commandments that they think they're really doing well in, and and they'll base their goodness on that. Well, then they'll begin the interview. They'll say, well, we're going to take the Ten Commandments, and I want to ask you a few questions. Have you ever lied? Most people, if they're honest, will say, yes, I have. What do you call a person who lies? A liar. Next question. Have you ever stolen anything or taken anything that didn't belong to you, even if it was something very small? And again, most people will say, yes. Well, what do you call a person who steals something? Well, they're a thief. Third question. Have you ever used God's name as a cuss word or taken the Lord's name in vain? And most of the time, people will respond by saying, yes, I have. And so this man will say, well, God says, don't take the name of the Lord, thy God, in vain. It's blasphemy. God takes it very seriously. About that time, he'll end the interview. And he'll say, do you still think you're a good person? He says, by your own admission, I'm not condemning you, but based on God's laws alone, he says, you're a lying, thieving, blasphemer at heart. Those are just three of the Ten Commandments. Do you want to continue? Most people will say, no, thank you, because they begin to realize our own goodness isn't, when we compare it to God's standard, the Word of God says our own our own righteousness is like filthy rags. So we want to accept all of God's counsel, all of God's Word. We can't take commandments and things and pick and choose what we want to obey and disregard the others. We want to walk in the full light of the gospel. It's a walk of holiness, but God can help us. We don't want to filter out that light. I thought of another example in the Bible of the rich young ruler. The Bible says he came to the Lord and he knelt before the Lord. He had a question. He says, uh, Master, good master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So Jesus, he said, he beheld this man and he loved him. And he began to recite the commandments. And the man responded. He said, I've done all of these things from my youth up. 
What lack I yet? So Jesus told him, go, sell that you have. Give to the poor, take up your cross and follow me. You'll have treasures in heaven. Jesus put his finger on that one thing in that man's life he wasn't willing to give up. He disobeyed the first command. That was to not have any other gods before the Lord. And, you know, tragically, the man might have gotten nine out of ten right, but he wanted to filter it out. It says that man, you know, he came to Jesus wondering what he could do, and he left seeing what he was unwilling to do. The Bible says that man went away sorrowful. It could have been so much different, but when God exposes something in our lives, we want to uh, yield to the light of God's Word and His Spirit. We want to follow in full exposure to God's Word. We want to line up to God's commandments. We know light and darkness can't dwell together. The Bible says they can't. We can't serve the Lord with sin and disobedience in our hearts. That's why the Word of God says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So God help us. We want to walk in the full light of the counsel of God. There's another condition that affects many. Probably most people are affected by something called myopia. That's nearsightedness. This is a vision problem that keeps people from seeing things at a distance. So they're only able to focus on things that are close by. Well, it can be a problem physically, but you know it can be a greater problem spiritually. That's a trick of the devil. You know, if the enemy, if he can get us to focus on things that immediately surround us, he can cause us to be distracted. He can cause us to get our eyes off the Lord. You know, we begin to focus on the cares of life, the deceitfulness of riches, burdens and trials, how difficult it is. Sometimes in the middle of a difficult situation, it's hard to see past those present circumstances, and it's even harder to see God's hand in it. But we want to keep our eyes on the Lord. We can focus on things that are temporal till the point we lose sight of things that are eternal. You know, if you find yourself in a situation like that where you're overwhelmed, we can do what the psalmist did in Psalm 46. Though the earth be removed, though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though the waters thereof roar and are troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof, he reminded himself and he reminds us God is still our refuge. God is still our strength. Therefore, we won't fear. He's a very present help in trouble. We need to get our eyes on the Lord. God will help us to see beyond our current circumstances. So easy to get distracted. You know, when we get our eyes on the Lord, our whole perspective begins to change. It's amazing. You've probably seen uh, two people that can see the same set of circumstances, yet... They see something entirely different. I thought of some examples in God's Word. Think about Joshua and Caleb and the 12 spies as Moses sent them out to spy out the land. This was the promised land. This was the inheritance God had promised them. Brought them through the wilderness, uh, brought them out of Egyptian bondage, part of the Red Sea. He did so many wonderful things, leveled the city of Jericho, brought him right to the very cusp of the promised land, ready to enter in, sent him out to spy out the land. So they spent 40 days searching out the land. You know, all 12 of those men saw the very same things, the same set of circumstances. 
Yet they came back with two very different reports. Ten of the twelve said, we can't take the land. There's too many giants. It's impossible. We're like grasshoppers in their sight. Oh, but Joshua and Caleb had a different story to tell. They said, let's go on at once. It is a good land. It's exactly what God promises. These people are bred for us. We can go in at once to possess it. They tried to steal the people. What made the difference? It was their perspective. The ten were looking at it from a temporal human point of view. Joshua and Caleb were looking at it through the eyes of faith. They got God's perspective and everything changed. It's a choice how we view things. You know, 40 years later, Joshua and Caleb were the only two that went in to possess that land. But God helped them. We want to keep our eyes on God's promises. They saw God's promises in front of them like a, almost like a table that was spread, a smorgasbord, just ready to go take it. And the other 10, they saw nothing but giants, high-walled cities. Are there giants in the land today? Sure there are. Are there things that could discourage and distract us? Absolutely. But we want to get our eyes on the Lord. God will give us the victory. Think about David and Goliath again. David, when he showed up on that battle that day, that scene, he saw the exact same things that the children of Israel saw. Yet he saw the armies of Israel cowering in the trenches. Oh, they saw this enemy that was too big to defeat. David saw an enemy or a target that was too huge to miss. David had a different perspective on things, and God gave the victory through David because he saw God's promises. God help us, we can get our eyes on the Lord. You know, we actually have a choice. We can choose where we choose to place our focus. And our focus will determine the results that follow. We can get our eyes on the giants and be defeated, or we can get our eyes on the Lord and God will give us the victory, but the choice is ours. I'd like to close with that account in the book of Mark. Brother Darrell read about Bartimaeus, Mark chapter 10. You know, even though in spite of Bartimaeus' physical blindness, as we read this account, he showed some very keen spiritual perception that day. He was seeing things much more clearly than many of those around him. As you read that account, you realize Bartimaeus recognized who Jesus was. There were all kinds of people following the Lord. Uh, some were there just for the loaves and fishes, no doubt. Some maybe thought he was a great rabbi or a teacher. But notice how Bartimaeus, how he addressed the Lord. He said, and when he heard that Jesus of Nazareth was passing by, he cried out and he said, Oh, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. That title, thou son of David, this is the first time we see this used in the book of Mark. That was a messianic title. That shows us that Bartimaeus realized Jesus was more than just a rabbi or a great teacher. He was the Son of God. And he realized Jesus could do something for him. So he cried out to the Lord. We know too, it says, as he heard that Jesus was passing by, he cried out. Faith comes by hearing, not by seeing. Something in his heart began to take hold. Notice the first thing that he requested from the Lord. He says, O Jesus, thou Son of David, have mercy on me. He didn't say, Lord, heal my blindness. He said, Lord, have mercy on me. He realized there was something far greater than his physical need. That was a spiritual need. He needed to be saved. 
He needed more than a physical healing. He needed a spiritual healing. And so I said, Lord, have mercy on me. And he cried out to the Lord. We know that Barnabas, he stayed focused on the Lord, even though he couldn't see him physically. As he cried out to the Lord, people would try to hush him. He says he cried out the more, Oh, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. He wasn't going to be put off. His heart was focused on the Lord. Verse 50, it says, And when Jesus had uh, bid him to be brought to him, it says that Bartimaeus, it says that he cast aside his garment and rose and came to the Lord. You know what? He was willing to lay everything else aside. For a beggar, that garment was their most valuable possession. For Bartimaeus, that was probably the one thing he only, that he even owned. So that often they would use those garments to wrap their possessions in those things and uh, they would find shelter during inclement weather. This was his security. This was all he owned, but he was willing to cast that aside to come to Jesus. Uh, what a beautiful illustration of repentance. Willing to turn our backs on that old life and come to the Lord. And Jesus, he heard Barnabas. He stopped. And we know that he healed Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus was very specific in his request to the Lord. And God granted his request. He gave him his sight. Saved a man, gave him his sight. You know, I don't know if Bartimaeus realized it or not, but this was the last time Jesus was going to pass through Jericho. It says he was on his way to Jerusalem. He was on his way to the cross to give his life for the sins of the whole world. This was Bartimaeus' last opportunity to get a hold of the Lord, whether he realized that or not. But you know what? He was willing to seize the moment. He must have realized, this is my chance. And you know what? He wasn't going to give up until he received from the Lord and God blessed his faith. Jesus said here, go thy way, thy faith have made thee whole. Another translation says, thy faith have saved thee. We cried out to the Lord. God helped him, you know. How's your spiritual vision this morning? Are you blinded by sin? The Lord can save you. The Lord can give you clear spiritual vision. Maybe you feel distracted or maybe uh, you feel like Peter did as he was walking to the Lord on the waves there and he got to looking around and he began to sink. Maybe you're feeling overwhelmed and distracted. Do what Peter did. Get your eyes back on Jesus. Say, Lord, help me. Lord, save me. God will help you today. He'll bless you. You know, the Lord is coming again. The Word of God tells us that very clearly, and He tells us who it is He's coming for. Hebrews 9.28 says, Unto them that look for Him shall He appear the second time without sin, unto salvation. What a day that's going to be. Can you imagine the moment? The moment we stand before the Lord, we look on Jesus face to face. That could be your hope today. He's coming for those that are looking for His appearing. If you don't know the Lord this morning, just humble yourself. Uh, kneel where you are. Call out to the Lord like Bartimaeus did. Don't give up until God meets you. God will help you. He'll give you sight. He'll give you life. And He'll bless you today. May God bless you.